But let's turn to God's word. We've been reading from the book of, of Genesis and we started last week. We read the story of creation from the book of Genesis and I stopped after day five. So we're going to look at six and seven this morning. But let's pray before we do that. Father, we turn to your word. We turn to your word for meaning. We turn to your word for purpose. We turn to your word to teach us and to change our minds so that our minds might reflect your mind and your truth. So we ask as we hear your word this morning that you would speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read from Genesis um, chapter 1, and we're reading from verse 24. And this is the end of the first of the creation accounts in Genesis 1. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. The livestock, the creatures that move across the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all creatures that move across the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. Then God saw all that he made, and it was good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. If I can have the screen called. Eighteen hundred years ago, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochi wrote a story. The story was of a group of men who went on a trip on a boat. One of them took a drill and he began to bore a hole under his seat. Why are you doing this? said the others. 
Why is it your concern? Said the man. I'm drilling in my own space. But you will flood us all. That story from so long ago is very relevant to where we are today in the midst of all that is going on with the climate crisis and the ecological disaster that we are facing as human beings. It's been tempting for a long time for many of us to hear the folk that are on about the environment or on about recycling or on about climate change and to sort of say, well, you know, the protesters, the Greta Thornburgs of our day, to say, well, you know, that's your thing and that's fine. It's not my thing. Whatever floats your boat. Whatever floats your boat. The problem is we're all on that same boat. We only have one planet. We're all in the boat together. And suddenly these questions that have been there our whole lives are very, very close to home. They're close to home because the leaders of the world are going to be meeting down the road in Glasgow in November. But they're also close to home because some of these questions are beginning to impact not just on people in foreign places and places that there's flooding across the world, but for us, our gas prices, talk of boilers needing renewed, energy questions, costs of costs and responsibilities and changes that we're going to have to make in church buildings and in other places. What are we to make of all of this? I said last week, as I wanted to think about this, that I had to start off by saying I'm not a climate scientist. I'm not any type of scientist, and I'm not going to use a pulpit to give you a hold of science. Nor am I an economist who can tell you about how we balance the needs of the planet against our own needs or any of these other things. But I wanted us to come back to the beginning. And to start to ask some very basic questions about who are we and what is this planet, this creation that we live in? How do we work this out? We began last week looking at the book of Genesis. And I suggested to you that Genesis is, for Christians, this is the beginning and it's a hugely valuable book as we think about our life on this planet. Unfortunately, as I said last week, it sort of got sidetracked because for the last 200 years we've been having this debate about evolution and everybody's been reading Genesis to say, is Genesis for evolution or against evolution? Uh, The writer of Genesis would have said, what's evolution? It's asking actually much bigger question. If you weren't here last week, you can go back on YouTube and, and perhaps listen to what I, what I said last week again. But, but we really wanted to say the Genesis teaches very basically in a song, a poem, some basic truth. The world belongs to God. He made it. He ordered it. That's why science works, because there is a mind that can be discovered behind all of the things around us. And it is good. There's many philosophies that have said, actually, the physical world's a horrible place we need to escape from. But at the heart of our belief pattern is that this world is God's and it is good. Psalm 19 puts it this way. 
The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. The earth is the Lord's and all that is thereupon. And because it's God's good earth, because he looks at it and takes pleasure in it, you know, we can look at a, a wonderful scene or we go on holiday and we see the Scottish Highlands or we, we look at a leaf and we think, that's, that's fantastic, that's great. But as we do that, we're echoing our creator who made this whole world and said, it is good. It is good. I, 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 I just think that, you know, when you look at a wonderful sunset, I wonder how anyone could be an atheist. And when you taste chocolate, how can you not have faith that there is a good God who made all these wonderful things in which we delight? It's the best argument against atheism, it really is. But if God made all of this and took pleasure in it and gave it to us to enjoy, then how much do we have to take it seriously? Christianity cannot be an escape from the physical world. You know, what we really want to do is get to heaven and that's all that matters and so stuff all this. But rather we pray every week, Lord, may your will be done. May your kingdom come on the earth as it is in heaven. Our faith is a very physical faith. At its heart, it's not that Jesus came and, uh, and disappeared off into the clouds. It's that Jesus came in flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what happened at the end of that? God brought him alive again physically. We don't believe that Jesus is sort of alive in some sort of spiritual sense. We believe he rose bodily from the grave. And he promised that he would return physically. And he promised that when he returned, the whole of creation would be restored. Our hope is in the physical resurrection. Now, there's a lot of that that's difficult to understand. We'll look at it in times to come. But it affirms our bodies and our world and our planet around us as being important. But last week we stopped at verse 25. We stopped just before the human beings were created. And I want to finish the seven day song today. And what we're asking today is this question. What is the relationship between us as human beings and this world that God has made? Who are we and what are our responsibilities? In the environmental debate, there are really two extremes. And I'm caricaturing a little bit. But on one hand, at one extreme of the environmental debate are, are, are those that would say, you know, human beings are, are nothing but a problem. They just wreck the earth. And it actually would be better for the earth if there were no human beings on it polluting it and doing awful things. Modernity, capitalism, globalism, trade, all these things are bad for our planet. They've built concrete structures and they've burnt fossil fuels. And really human beings shouldn't do anything of that. It would be better if there were less of us. It would be better if we were all vegans. It would be better if we didn't have a modern project and all the rest of it. There's nothing good in humanity at all. And I'm caricaturing, but that's one extreme. Of course, the other extreme 
are those who would say, well, actually, it's all about economic growth. It's about giving people jobs. It's about raising our standards of living. And it doesn't really matter how we treat the planet. It's there to be exploited as a resource. And so we have big business and we have pollution. It doesn't matter as long as there's growth and there's more money and everybody's better off. But what are we to do as believers? How are we to view this world around us? Now, as I say, these are both extremes. But I want us today to look at what the Bible teaches. In starting, just note a few things. First of all, human beings are created on the sixth day, according to this poem. Now, it's not actually a chronology, but it's, it's giving us an idea of values. They're created on the same day that the animals are created. And perhaps that's a reminder that we actually are physical beings. We're part of this physical creation. Biologically, genetically, in evolutionary theory, we're all part of the same created world. We are part of the animal kingdom. There's no getting around that. Our skulls are not that dissimilar to that of an ape and all the rest of it. We are not independent of it. That's what science has been teaching us. But by the way, Genesis agrees. It has human beings created in the same act as the animal kingdom. But what Genesis also says, and I think that we know in our world as well, is that there is still something fundamentally different between a human being and an animal. God says, let us make mankind in our own image. Let us make mankind in our own image. That plurality of God, us, a hint of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we have a value and a dignity as human beings that makes us distinct. Now, some people have said that's because we've got a mind, we can think rationally. But actually, no, it can't be that because we would want to say that people who are mentally incapacitated, people who are not born yet, still have a value and a worth, don't they? If you go into a home where people are, are not able to think straight, you would still say these are human beings. So it can't be about a reason. And others would say it's about human beings able to have language and communicate and write things down. But again, we would want to say that people who are unable to do that are still fully human. And others would say it's about our capacity to love. But it has to be about more than that. And for the Bible, it is that we are created in the image of God. Like God, we have the capacity to show mercy. We have the capacity to love. We have the capacity to forgive. We have the capacity to worship. And that sets us apart from the whole of the animal kingdom. Now this idea of every human being made in the image of God is incredibly important. For one thing, the whole idea of the sanctity of human life rests on this. We are part of creation, but we are distinct with a value and a purpose and a worth. Now, this is hugely liberating because it means that our value doesn't come from whether we were born rich or poor, whether we were born in the upper class or the lower class or the working class. 
And our value doesn't come from meritocracy either. It doesn't come from how clever we are or how much we can do in life. And this Christian understanding, this Judeo-Christian understanding, actually underlines everything. It is the foundation on which the whole of Western values stands. The idea of human rights stands on this idea that every human being has an innate worth before God, rich or poor, young or old, genius or mentally incapacitated, unborn or in the later stages of life, every human being has a value. Our Western secular values stand on this. Now, it might well be in our day that they've forgotten to recognize it, but there it is on this Christian belief. The American Declaration of Independence thunders. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, and I think they meant women as well, sorry ladies, are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now the problem with it is that statement isn't true. It's not true because it's actually not self-evident that every human being is created equal. Lots of people have disagreed. You can think, for instance, that when Jefferson wrote this, he wasn't thinking about slaves. You can consider that in India, in Hinduism, in certain parts of it, there's a whole caste system that says certain people are born to be better than other people. You can think of it in terms of apartheid in South Africa. You can think in terms of eugenics, which has said that certain types of birth are more important than others. You can think of it in terms of every extreme nationalist or fascist regime there has ever been that has said people are not created equal. Actually, there's something else. So why do we think this? And the answer is the whole Western culture believes it because it's based on the Bible. Because it's based on that idea that we are created in the image of God. Now, as I say, our secular culture has tried to remove that and say it's all about human rights. But they all come from that simple idea. We are created equal. And this is revealed in the scripture. And it's why, as Christians, as we look at humanity, we should be deeply uncomfortable with every type of racism. We should be deeply uncomfortable with abortion. We should be deeply uncomfortable with euthanasia. We should be deeply uncomfortable with capital punishment. Because all of these things at their roots say some lives are more valuable than others. Some points of life are more precious than others. But we hold not just self-evident. We hold revealed by God's truth in scripture. That every human being is created In the image of God. By the way, that means we should watch our language. You ever heard someone say so and so is a waste of space? A Christian should never say that. God gave them that space. God loves them, no matter what they have done and who they are. Do you ever hear a politician referring to some people as scum? 
We as human beings do not believe that any human being, no matter what they have done, no matter how much we disagree with them, is ever scum. They are precious and valuable, created in the image of God. And when you despise them and reject them, no matter what they've done, you despise the image of God that is within them. Human beings matter. And God made them and gave them a purpose that they would rule over the fish and the birds and the livestock, that they would fill the earth and subdue it. I give you all of this. But here's the problem. Here's the accusation. Because modern society has sometimes pointed at Genesis and said, you know when Genesis says they have dominion over everything? That's the root of our ecological disaster. Robert Burns put it this way in his famous poem. I'm truly sorry man's dominion has broken nature's social union and justified that ill opinion which makes thee startle at me thy poor earth-born companion and fellow mortal. Now, I, I don't know whether you're a Burns fan or not, but I read that again recently. I thought that's fantastic theology. Because Burns has noted a problem. If human beings are given by God dominion over the earth, what does man's dominion do to nature's social union? This is way before ecology. But he's noting how, although we are earthborn, fellow mortals, we've actually treated the planet in such a shocking way. But it all comes back to Genesis. And when Genesis says that we are to fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it, is this a problem? Well, I would want to say this. When God put his image within us, he gave us a task to rule over the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, to fill it and subdue it. But the nature of that is also spoken in Genesis. Think about it this way. In the beginning, God took an empty space, a void, and he shaped it and ordered it. He filled it with good things. He made it to flourish and grow the whole of creation, and he said, it is good. Then he made human beings in his own image, and he said, I give you charge over all of this. And I give you charge over all of this that you would do what I have done. That you would take it and shape it and make it bloom and flourish so it continues to be good. I am the creator and you, here's a really interesting word, you are the procreators. The procreators. The ones who go and continue what I have done and you continue it in my goodness. You take this blessed earth that I have made and you carry on blessing it as it grows. And we are to multiply. You know, I, I just love that. It, it, we are to make children. And in Genesis chapter 2, that instruction is given to a couple, to Adam and Eve. But in Genesis chapter 1, it's not. It's actually given to all of humanity. So it's not that you've to make children or you've to make children. It's we've to make children. We've to create an environment, a culture, a background where children can thrive and multiply and grow and be all that God has made for them. Whether you've got children of your own or not, you're part of that. And that's, by the way, why we do have to make sure that we have a long-term sustainable earth because we are commanded to multiply, to grow, 
to bear children. And we can't do that if we create an unsustainable position where their future is in doubt. So we are to go and fulfill the earth. And that means we are to be people who explore all that God has made. We are to climb every mountain. We are to be adventurous. We are to be entrepreneurs. We are to learn to expand and develop and to keep going boldly where no one has gone before. To quote those great theologians from Star Trek. And for Christians, that means we are pro-science. That means we are pro-architecture. That means we are pro-horticulture. That means we want to see economic growth and all these things that go with it. We are wanting to make the world into a place where human beings can thrive and the whole of the creation can thrive too. You know, we can be very negative sometimes about modern development, but you know, I just read last week that they found a vaccine for malaria. Thank you, God, for science. May that grow and develop. Did you know that amidst all the negative things that we can see, absolute poverty in this world decreased by 50% between the year 2000 and the year 2020? That's because of trade and commerce and economic growth and thriving and wealth creation and all of these things. And the Bible wants to say these are good. These are good. But, to quote another great theologian, which I've quoted before, and of course, I mean Spider-Man. With great power comes great responsibility. We are given control over this earth, but we are created in the image of God. And therefore, as we take the earth and we do things with it, we are to remember the nature of God. Remember the one who loved it and put it into our hands and said it is good. Remember the one who trusted us with it, that we would use it in the right way. That what we would do with it should be good. And you see, science that forgets that it is God-given and forgets that it is there to bless and to make things thrive becomes frankenscience. And economics that forgets that it is to reflect the mercy and the glory and the kindness and the justice of God becomes cruel capitalism or Marxist, and Marxist materialism in all its shocking dehumanization. You know, human beings, we are distinct from this world around us. We are given a dominion over it, but we are to take that creativity not into destructive ways, but into ways that make this planet flourish, that make it a blessing and not a curse, that reflect the nature of God. That is why we should be doing things as a church and as a community and a society where we can stand back and say, it is good. It is good. When the Clyde is full of rotten things and when the air is such that it cannot breathe, when flood levels rise because we burn too much fuel, that is not good. That is not what our creator intended. And that is the balance that we have as we affirm economics, but we also look to the beauty of nature around us. We have a mandate to create culture that reflects the image of God, that uses all the skills of the scientist and the economist, the economics and the creativity of the artist and all of these things, but always reflecting the love and the beauty the glory and the justice of God.
and for Christians. That image of God we see in Jesus. Colossians says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. And when we look to Jesus, we see everything that God is about that we are supposed to reflect. And when we look to Jesus, we see what it is to live and be in the image of God. We see what it is to be truly human in his love and his care. And we seek to reflect that image back into the world around us. That is our challenge today in all that we do. But there's something else in this last part of Genesis. Because I could say to you, well, go from here. Do what God has commanded. Subdue the earth. Make the culture bloom. Work and enjoy. Serve other people. Do, do, do. Work, work, work. But where does Genesis end its seven days rest for God made us to do and God made us to do not God made us to be active and God put limits on that activity just because we can doesn't mean we should There are boundaries to a healthy existence before our Creator. And so today, perhaps not an instruction to go forth and to do, but is simply to know, to rest in our Lord and know that all comes from Him, to worship and to accept all that He has given us that is good. For when we come to that place, and know God's love for us and our love for him, then perhaps we begin to use this world in the way that he intended. Amen.